0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly, Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Phil Donaldson continues our series in Hebrews, sharing from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. And now, here's Phil. What does a highly valued treasure look like from above? One of the great minds i worked on near the top of the Andes Mountains in northern Chile was discovered in part by satellite mapping. A senior mining manager from the Koyawazi mine was sent to work with me for a period of time at the kid mine, and some of you met him here actually, uh, to get some training in large mine operations. And he shared a lot of detail about how this mine uh, uh, that he was from was identified. Large metallic ore bodies are often identified by ground mapping of different kinds, but this one had the advantage of the modern techniques of satellite mapping to assist in guiding what should be done on the ground to determine if what was seen from above was really there. It was one of my many great privileges in my career to travel up to the mines later on for various purposes, and in one case, I was, a couple of cases actually, I was a law, lo- I was there to see what had been identified from above really was there. In our Christian life, we sometimes, too often, look from the perspective of earth only. And we more often need to look up to where our Lord is seated, as we have been urged to do in the book of Hebrews throughout, and try and understand what his perspective is. In our Christian life, we have, been identified, we have identified as worshippers of God, And the question before us this morning, is that really true 24-7? This is what is before us in our series in Hebrews, our great salvation series that brings us to Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 6. Reading for context, a few verses from last week. Reading from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Our text, uh, I read the earlier verses just for context. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are ill treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And for some reason, the the next verse does not show up. Uh, Verse six says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man uh, do uh, to me? Let's just bow for a brief word of prayer. Dear God, our father, it is the desire of our hearts to worship you each and every day. So we open our minds for you to teach us from your word what acceptable worship to you looks like. We look to you together in Jesus' name. Amen. What does worshiping God acceptably look like? We need to reach back to some of the things that uh, David Hook talked about last week just for context for what we're doing this morning. The first of these uh, three that we wanna look at is by holding on to what cannot be shaken. I have been fascinated with rock formation, earthquakes and I've professionally been involved in designing plants and mines to withstand seismic events, whether they're generated by mining activity or by continental plates movement. One time I traveled to Santiago, Chile on business days after an earthquake earthquake of 8.8 magnitude hit central Chile, and it lasted for over three minutes. The damage that earthquake caused throughout the city of Santiago was overwhelming. I was guided through the airport, which you can see here, and that's not unlike the day that we walked through there. The building did not collapse, but everything, all the ductwork, all the roof tiles, And the damage was huge in the airport. And we were traveling with another fellow and we were routed through back streets to get to our meeting hotel. And this is what the highway looked like. I was thinking about what David said at communion. The roads will be lifted up and that they were. This was a brand new freeway leading from the airport to downtown and it was in collapse. All this for context. There was a, during this period, my travels there, I was looking, and the slide is on the left, at a 980 foot tall high rise. And it was located near the, very near the hotel where I normally stayed. I'd been watching these foundations being built and had been studying the foundation design out of technical curiosity to see how they would withstand, how that building, so high, towering above all the other buildings around, would withstand this huge level of seismic vibration that later came. Engineers had designed much into the building for it to hold on to, to prevent it from being shaken down. I couldn't wait to see if it survived the minutes-long shaking. It was an engineering lesson that I took note of and applied to my personal life in an unforgettable way. And it is exactly what we're talking about this morning. Hold on... To that which cannot be shaken is the first part of true worship. This building survived the big one and many more since then by holding fast to these design elements. Forgive the engineering metaphors here, but we'll explain them in a minute. These elements were solid foundations, flexible springs to provide seismic vibration isolation, energy damage barriers, and preventers to oscillation. In the slide on the right, I don't expect you can uh, read this, but for just to elaborate on these things that apply to our Christian life, a slide uh, the top of the right-hand slide. The architectures down there have vibration isolation at the bottom, and in simple terms, big springs that isolate the shaking, uh, reducing it by 70 to 90 percent. The second, second slide is all about energy dissipation dissipation and that uh, uh, those help uh, brace the building and absorb energy coming from the earth when it shakes and then there's what's called tuned mass dampers on the right which are like a big heavy rail car at the beginning at the top of the tower so that they shake in opposite directions uh, to absorb the oscillations of the movement of the ground now in our, our, our Christian life the lesson that I took from that is that we are to hold fast to what can be shaken so that we do not shake with it. Rely on what God, provi- God provides by the solid foundation of his new design, the new covenant that we have been studying. The strength personally from the power of the Holy Spirit to protect us from the vibrations and uh, protect us as well from the damaging and evil energy. And in this case of this church particularly, to not oscillate. Back and forth in our Christian life. Don't be tempted to turn back. Don't uh, allow your mind just to waffle this way and that way, but to focus on the sure foundation of God's Word as guided by His Spirit in our everyday, in our day, everyday living. Hold on to what cannot be shaken. Throughout Scripture, earthquakes were often used as well by God to demonstrate the sovereignty of God over creation as well as all created people. He, did the, he spoke through earthquakes many times, and Dave Hook referred to a little bit of that last week, and so did our music this morning, thank you so much. It is from shaking mountains that God spoke to the people to show how powerfully he desired that they would choose him as their Savior and Lord. The first one, of again, something like David said last week, and we won't repeat that, we see one of those great reminders that Israel had of how God's voice was to be heard and heated. The shaking of Mount Sinai was one of these great earth seismic events accompanied by the voice of God that the people were to hear. He spoke at these revelations he was about to give to Moses and Israel. It was his undergirding of his glory, his majesty, his divine and sovereign power to invite them to his love and service through the giving of the law. And as well, David referred to Mount Sinai, uh, sorry, to. Uh, Mount Jerusalem Mount Calvary and we've skipped over a lot of earthquake mentions for the sake of time this area is located on the Jordan Rift Valley and these Israelites who were receiving this letter knew all about earthquakes they too knew about the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and the earthquake there and they also knew about the mountain just by the side of Jerusalem where the Lord spoke in the middle of an earthquake at the cross of Calvary. Let's just notice it from Matthew chapter 27. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, a loud voice yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were open and many bodies of the saints uh, which slept arose. They came out of the graves, went into the holy city and appeared to many, and when the people gathered there, the centurion and the, and the others, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. By holding on to that cannot, that cannot be shaken. That's what Hebrews picks up for the Israelites there, the Jewish people in the Christian church. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, and uh, we won't read it all, but... and. And through whom, uh, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The son provided purification for sins and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so this church who were thinking of going back are reminded again about those two great events of history that they were being urged to remember. The old covenant has gone. It was God speaking then in a particular way, but that's over. And now he's speaking through the new covenant uh, such that they would not be tempted to turn back. And remember, it was the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary who spoke from there in the middle of an earthquake, demonstrating the power of God to be heard. And they were reminded that they are to listen to him, heed him and follow his uh, follow his words in the new covenant situation. The second aspect of worshiping God acceptably is from, and we'll just uh, skip over this one because David covered it, but it's necessary for uh, drawing the links to chapter 13 by thanking the one who brought us into His kingdom, and we'll just leave that uh, with that to be. Remember that the writer was exhorting them to be thankful for the kingdom uh, they were receiving in Christ. Uh, They they were this church was. uh, Uh, Thinking that the kingdom of God was to come in a particular way, and they were uh, walking away from that in their their situation. Uh, They were looking at the things that were certain and sure sure from their past and past, and thinking that the future uh, was a uh, was unsure, uncertain, and couldn't hold their lives together. So, the writer reminds them that they are to be thankful to God because of the kingdom that they were in, irrespective of the circumstances and thank him for his presence in their lives, even during those uh, difficult times. Coming to our our verses before us this morning, the uh, the various ways that we look at Scripture are uh, up to individual interpreters. And here, I'm not saying that this is the way you ought to look at these verses, but I just want you to know that I'm using them for a particular way to understand them for myself this morning. Oftentimes when we read through scriptures, we hear and scriptures like this, we hear uh, mess- preachers saying, OK, chapter 13 is a new chapter and it's a new handbook for for Christian living. And here are the things that you need to be thinking of as individuals. I, I'm going to suggest that what's before us is actually a message to the church of Jerusalem at the time. And all of the things before us this morning are, yes, indeed, they're a part of that handbook, but they are part of what um, God is putting under the title of loving our brothers and sisters. Uh, so this is the way sometimes we read it. Okay, there's verse 1, verse 2, verse 3 is another item, verse 4 is another item, and so on. Uh, the way I'm going to look at it for the, for the verses are, hey, is this way. You'll notice that verses 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 are indented under the general header of keep on loving each other as brothers. And that particular title is subject to the overall exhortation to the church to worship God 24-7. And what does that look like? And we were saying, suggesting that there are three things, two in chapter 12 and one in these verses in chapter 13 under the header of keeping on loving brothers and sisters in the church in the middle of suffering and difficulty. And uh, I want you to imagine for a moment that you were one of the people in that Jerusalem church as we go through these verses. And I want you just to imagine what was going on there of what of those things that we have glimpses of uh, in the uh, uh, throughout the book and uh, and serving as the context for these. Uh, in the first one I'd like us to look at is the in loving brothers and sisters. Uh, it, it was said to keep on loving as brothers and sisters. That's an interesting challenge to us all. We go to a church. We find a church. We go into it. We find everybody's welcoming. Everybody's uh, uh, enjoying company and everybody's serving together. And then the rough times come. And that's what was happening in that particular church, a fledgling, a fledgling at church that was experiencing some difficulties. I'm touched by the words of Peter uh, in John chapter 21 and verse 15. And uh, this is uh, necessary to uh, understand what words are being used when Jesus asks his question of Peter and Peter answers. There are four words in, in the original language for, that we translate love. And uh, one is uh, storhe, familial love. The second one is eros, romantic love, sensual love third one is phileo, which is brotherly love. Think of the city of Philadelphia and agape, the love of God. Now, these are not separate things. They can be mirrors of the same love of God living through us uh, via his love. And when this, when Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, Pete, the word was agape. Peter, do you agape me? Are you loving me as God loves you? And his answer was brotherly love. He said, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. You, Oh, Lord, you know, I love you as my brother. So we see the dynamic of how those two loves didn't fit together for Peter. But in our chapter, we're being urged to love one another. And that carries over into our loving, keeping on loving our brothers and sisters in particular ways uh, within the church. So uh, uh, in the way of brotherly love, hooking these things together, uh, let's look at the first one, which is being hospitable to strangers. I've got a few life lessons of mine to interject through this to help uh, uh, the challenges that I was facing as I was studying this. When I was accepted at the University of Toronto, I was not sure where I was going to stay. My first surprise came in the form of my brother. Residence was very expensive for my budget. And when my brother Terry was looking for a new place to stay closer to the university than where he stayed the first year with family, uh, he thought we might find a place together. So that was a wonderful thing for a young brother to follow his older one to the big, huge city and the big university. The second huge surprise, though, was from a young married couple who came to us and asked if we would consider staying with them while the husband returned to university to complete a master's degree in science, who incidentally uh, was uh, Linda, um, Linda Pete at the time's cousin, right? And that was a couple who invited us to live with them. We, Terry and I, hesitated for at least a second. (laughs) And over the two years, not only did we learn about being hospitable as they were to us as Christian brothers and sisters, but we watched them as Linda would bring home needy persons from her work, she was counseling at the at the hospital and as john would bring home young troubled kids from his youth class and other people that came uh, through our home for two years uh, because of them they were exemplar christians who profoundly changed our lives but i started with an application i shouldn't have done that first let's look at the context of our of the verse now uh, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters by not forgetting to entertain strangers. There was evidently some need for exhortation, perhaps being uh, going beyond what uh, being hospitable, uh, we think, means being close to our family and friends. But here we're being exhorted to reach out beyond that comfortable circle and allow the uh, ones to come into our lives that God has sent to us uh, to be hospitable to them. For don't you know, Uh, we might be asked to entertain angels. It it, it must have been difficult for that young church. There was some political risk to them, I would suggest, in inviting strangers into their home. Uh, That could have been a dangerous thing for them to do in that situation. It may be that there were some who were difficult to love as brothers during this difficult time uh, inside the church. And whatever the situation was, uh, the church was... Uh, Urged to remember from their childhood understandings of stories, remember Abraham and Sarah. The the Esauwes and us had the opportunity to actually meet Abraham uh, back in Israel when we went traveled around there together in 2018. Abraham invited us into his tent, actually. uh, And as he did many thousands of other tours. Uh, we were only disappointed in this reminder to be hospitable to strangers when he came and welcomed us with a distinct Australian accent. <laughs> that's that's joke. Some will remember my dad's angel story. Uh, he was working on Northland Bible Camp, and he was uh, one of the tasks he had that particular time was to uh, bring down the first big propane gas stove to the camp. I don't know what that thing weighed, but it was probably in the order of 800 to 1,000 pounds. And uh, he had prearranged some help. He had rented it or had a truck from somewhere, brought it to the camp, and his, the people who had arranged to come didn't come. And he was just sitting. <clears throat> mm-hmm. He was praying, and uh, uh, to a couple, I think it was two or three, uh, what I thought was fishermen when I was a boy came in and helped him unload the stove. And when, I guess, Dad was in the manor or in the, uh, in the kitchen and he went out to thank them and uh, they weren't there. Whew. So, entertaining angels, perhaps, perhaps not, but for a particular uh, purpose. So, remembering the Lord's call here for us to reach out beyond our comfortable circle. Uh, to reach out to those for the lord who are outside that circle uh, for it, we may even be uh, we must be hospitable to strangers for god to fulfill our purpose in their being there them being there in the first place and that's strongly linked to the next one that we urged in the chapter about those in prison now you're in this church again what was prison like for their, what was their situation that brought up this item of church? It's not just a list in a handbook, remember. They were living a particular situation. And uh, they were being urged to remember those in prison as if you were one of them because some of them were in prison. And we're, that's pretty clear from the, the overall reading in the book of Hebrews. And they were suffering. They were imprisoned. They were losing material goods. They were being... Uh, persecuted by the religious leaders and and the roman rule and all of the above and they must have been to need this exhortation they must have not been willing to be recognized with those prisoners lest they end up there too so perhaps that's the context i'm quite sure it is but uh, uh, you can look at that as you like so they uh, Oh Hebrews chapter 10, verse 33, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side by those who were so uh, treated. I remember again my dad, and I'll try not to tell too much of this story for my own emotional sake, but uh, when we were children they used to often bring uh, uh, people who were let out of Monteith Jail and they would bring them home and... I often wondered about that as a boy. Why well, we don't need these strangers in our house, and what's all this about? And I remember overhearing them one time say, "We don't know how God is working in their lives, <clears throat> but we can use this opportunity to be used of the Lord for these moments." Uh, and there was another example of that, where there was a man who came from Czechoslovakia in one of the uh, first time I ever heard the word DP, deported persons from another country. We didn't know. Much about what was coming in and who was coming in and why, but they brought a the guy by the name of Fred Patch in, who fled under persecution. In that, uh, and this was in the uh, in the '60s, I would say, in the late '60s, uh, mid '60s. He uh, he stayed with us for about two years, and then he got a, another job in Forrester. He was devoted to reading the Bible. He was he had suffered emotionally and mentally a little bit because of his persecution. But there was mom and dad uh, looking after someone who was persecuted uh, for that brief time that God put him there for them. And so we, too, need to be on the lookout for uh, people who are in prison and uh, in difficulty and in persecution. The third uh, thing in this uh, uh, chapter that's uh, part of this point, keeping on loving as brothers and sisters is honoring marriage. Now, again, we're looking at this as an exhortation to the church. Of course, there's always a time for being exhorted about marriage to those who are married and uh, those who are wanting to be married to coach them on what marriage is about and so on. This is a a bit of a different situation, it seemed to me, when I was going at this verse that uh, there was, for some reason, in this time of persecution, the people were being in a state, and particularly the leadership were in a state where they were not honoring marriage. And the... Uh, In verse four, the exhortation is to all marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. They knew that the story, they knew the teaching and example of Jesus where he taught the religious leaders about the meaning of marriage. And uh, we won't go through all of those. Matthew chapter 19, four and six, reminding them what God has joined together. Let no man separate. Uh, so it was indeed and ins- Jesus taught uh, about uh, Genesis and all the things that they had learned from Jesus teaching on the topic, but they were walking away from it for some reason. Even their leaders were probably doing it as well. Uh, so the collective message to them was clear. They were being exhorted as a church to honor marriage. And uh, so the question is, how does that, did that apply to uh, them in their day and to us today? Uh, I just made a quick checklist here. uh, There's many more we could add to it. But the church is to honor by teaching the fundamentals of Christian marriage as between one man and one woman. The church is to honor marriage by encouraging those married by supporting them in personal and practical ways in their marriage to continue in the commitments they have made each other the church leadership and all within the body of christ will honor it by being faithful in their own marriages and keeping their own marriage bed pure we are all to honor it by keeping fortified barriers and keeping far away from allowing anyone or anything suffering persecution or good times that could take us down the road of unfaithfulness and adultery that god will judge Uh, Fifth one is to honor it by being full of love and grace and truth to those who have suffered the ravage of our sinful world and perhaps our own sinful behaviors. So it's a collective exhortation as a primary view here to those people then and us now to honor marriage as a foundational teaching and practice in our church and to be mindful that going down other roads uh, God will judge. Of course, again, God is full of grace, and we all live in a sinful world, and things happen. But God is, <clears throat> God is gracious to those who turn to Him, and uh, He takes them on their path uh, forward in grace, love, and truth. the The last area that's addressed here is being content with what God has provided. Uh, it's an interesting. Um, seeing a lot of speakers when they get to this chapter and commentators I read uh, over very far away from this particular context. And they, they have a message on uh, being content uh, with what you have and don't covet others and these kinds of things. And those are all uh, valuable messages for us to remember. But being here, something more powerfully, I think, is being said to the church. He's, what's being said here is that uh, uh, it is about... Um, being content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And there, there is two quotations from the Old Testament. The first one uh, is from Joshua's case where he was taking the reins from Moses and he was being led into the promised land. And Jesus is saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will provide for you. I've given you a huge job to do, to be faithful to me each day in your walk in the kingdom as he leads you forward and, and be content with the things that I provide to you and all I provide to you while you're walking that walk of faith. We're not to be covetous along the way. Apparently they were in their, in their church. Some were losing possessions. They were coveting what the, what the people who didn't lose them had and vice versa, whatever the situation was for us we 're to be content with what God has given, see everything as being from him, and to be content and use all that comes our way uh, as his own. The second example is from uh, the uh, a psalm and in that psalm one eighteen uh, jesus uh, God, the lord said <coughs> it's <a coughs> excuse me uh, he he 's telling them to uh, be worshipful and that's the the psalm is about worshiping in the presence of suffering and persecution and enemies a parallel situation to the people of uh, Jerusalem at the time the psalm begins give thanks to Yahweh for he is good for his loving kindness endures forever let Israel now say that his loving kindness endures forever Yahweh is on my side I will not be afraid what can man do to me is the verse that's quoted In our text, Uh, these verses, again, paint uh, an an analogous situation of their suffering uh, as a church. And he is reminding them that to be content. Why? Not because you you will lose anything, but because in Christ you have everything you are being. They were being encouraged to look to him as the one who is our strength and our song, that he is our salvation. And as a result, shouts of joy and victory will resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand has lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. So it's not just about a contentment about material things and our attitudes to them. It's an overall attitude from which those things are enhanced by looking to Him as the source and strength, our source, our strength, our rest, our guide, And all of those things that the Lord is to us, not only individually, uh, but as a church. So holding on to what cannot be shaken by thanking the one who brought us into his kingdom, by keeping on loving as brothers and sisters, which will be characterized by being hospitable to strangers, identifying with the persecuted. Thanks for that music again, the opening group about uh, that part of the one song honoring marriage being content with what God has provided. And uh, that's kind of what worship 24-7, at least lesson one, is to look like for us. May God bless to us the study of his word. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we do give you thanks together this morning. We are thankful for your goodness and loving kindness that endures for now and forever. We are so grateful for our Lord and Savior. Help us to worship you acceptably each and every day. And in the ways that you've challenged us this morning, we pray that the word of God and the spirit of God would continue to encourage us and strengthen us with the new vows that we make along these lines. Bless us as we serve you together in our fellowship, in love and with you, Lord. And uh, we seek to grow together. We seek to reach others for growth in you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmons area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.